Welcome back to Wet Gift Conversations, the podcast where we talk to staff, to parents, and to pupils about topics that are relevant to you. Now, in this episode, we're talking to Head of Learning Support, Kirsty Richardson. This is a great episode. Kirsty is clearly very passionate about learning support, not just from the point of view of children who learn in different ways, but also those who don't need any extra support. So this really is an episode for all listeners. But enough from me. Let's find out all about Kirsty, her role in the school, and how it helps the children at Whitgift. Kirsty, thank you for being here and welcome to this episode of the podcast. How are you today? Hi, Simon. Uh, good, good. It's been um, a busy start to the morning. We had some training yesterday, so today we're back fully with um, working with the students. And generally, I tend to have quite a, a mixture of roles to, to fill. Um, I've had a meeting with my line manager this morning, which was a walk and talk with a coffee. And I'm about to try and um, complete some work for access arrangements for the forthcoming GCSEs and uh, A-level uh, students. So uh, it's been quite a full morning already. Sounds like a full morning. Sounds like a full week already as well. Tell me tell me a little bit about the training that you were doing yesterday. What kind of training was that? It was really interesting, actually, for Whitgift. So yesterday we were looking at misogyny and something obviously that's been in the press a lot over the last, uh, the last year or so. And I think as an all boys school, it's something that um, we have to be incredibly mindful of, and and not least as a as a whole school community, but as a as a staff body as well. It's something that is important for us to to look at and, and decide how we want to address some of those issues. So it was a really useful session. But that's interesting, of course, that you have the opportunity there to to I, I presume to speak to different people from other departments in the school, which can be a good opportunity, therefore, to bring together different people who might not naturally speak to each other. Because because different people do tend to work in different departments. Yeah, and you're, you're absolutely right. And it's a really, I think, across the last two years, we've all been working in silos um, more so than ever in, in schools. And you do gravitate very much towards the people you work with day to day. My department, um, in particular, we, we work alongside one another probably even more than, than others do. We actually teach in the same room quite often. So it can be very easy just to sort of, hide away with your department and not actually even geographically get out very much from the school so those opportunities around inset to work across different departments are really really important and and they re- I, I really relish them because you you know we've got a huge school staff here of over 200 teaching staff plus another similar number for uh, support staff and there's some great people that work at the school and um, it's nice to have the opportunity to hear different opinions and hear about the different days of, of different people in, in the school. So it was, it's, it's a good opportunity. I, I generally enjoy inset days. And I'm sure the people listening to this who work in different walks of life all around the country, I'm sure they'll fully appreciate what it's like to enjoy the benefits, really, of mixing with different people that you wouldn't normally mix with. Now, Kirsty, we're going to find out more about, about your department and how that looks and how that helps in school life. But first of all, I'd love to understand a little bit more about about where you went to school and, and also what your own experience of school life was like when you were young? That's an interesting question. Um, so I would say I enjoyed school to a degree. Um, I was quite a social a social uh, student, I think, rather than an um, academic and working hard student. Um, I found academia in, in some areas fairly, fairly easy until it came to exams. And when it came to exams, I didn't do as well as I was supposed to do on paper, which was a bit of a shock to the system. Um, and lastly, found that that was down to my 
different ways of, of learning. So my own new diversity, which um, I've learned a lot more about more more recently I'd say more recently the last 20 years but whilst I was at school I wasn't really aware of that and the knowledge of those sorts of things just wasn't wasn't there so um, I, I didn't have a bad time at school but I certainly didn't get out of it what I feel like I could have done and what I hope I can give to the students that I work with today um, so I went to a very bog standard um, comprehensive school um, to the extent that my parents um, were really anti me going to um, even a grammar school so the idea of independent schools were completely off the off the cards for me and I then decided to have a year off went and lived in um, in France for a year and found that I picked up the language a lot more easily living out there than I ever did in the classroom. And so I then came back after a year and a half and went off to university and decided to study French and Italian at university um, and, and enjoyed that thoroughly. Had another year abroad in, uh, in Lyon in France and then in Siena in Italy, which was an absolute delight and opened my eyes to all sorts of, all sorts of things that are out there. Um, and all sorts of different people, which I thoroughly, thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed. Came back absolutely certain I was not going to go into teaching following university. Um, coming from a very long line of teachers in my family, my my sister's a head teacher, my mother's a teacher, my uncles and aunties are teachers. So a, a whole host of teachers, all telling me perhaps do something different. Um, I've always loved to be around children, but. Um, I wanted to try something different, um, but it wasn't to be. I kind of, I came back and decided to do my PGCE as a kind of a, a stopgap and perhaps a, a, something to, to finance my life, really, and met my now husband and, and off, off we went. And so I then was, uh, my first teaching role was um, in Stockwell. So quite a demanding, demanding role, um, really interesting demographic of students, um, lots with EAL. I think about 60% of the school had EAL needs, so um, English is an additional language, that is. So as well as teaching French um, there, I was also teaching English as an additional language. Okay. And that kind of led me into working with a lot of students with um, specific educational needs as well. Um, so that was sort of where my my interest started. And I'm presuming, given the way that you're talking, that you find the, the whole world of teaching and education a fulfilling career for you. Absolutely. It's very interesting when I talk to talk to friends of mine who are in, in different jobs, and particularly at the age I am now, and the number of them who who really feel so unfulfilled by the job they do and they might be earning a lot more money um it's certainly not a profession to go into um to sort of retire early and put your feet up because of the financial gains of it but every day i feel like i'm i'm making a difference and and that counts for a huge huge amount you know i love being around the teaching staff and i love being around the students that i work with there's always something different something new to be doing mm. and if you feel like you can help somebody that that makes you feel good um and that's that's a nice place to work so i guess it's a great definition of what success is all about because often we you know well society will put success down to the amount of money that somebody earns you know so and so is very successful in what they do but actually you know how fulfilled are you in your work you know surely that's a much better metric for measuring success yeah absolutely i mean i think there's a balance right we we also i think we need a certain amount of money to be able to live in a way that we're not struggling day to day you know I, i'm fortunate i'm 
you know, I'm part of a partnership where we both bring salaries into a house and that enables us to have a certain standard of living. But for me personally, I think I would struggle to get up each morning if it was, you know, to work in a bank or something where I'm I'm not working with with people and not able to sort of see that see that difference and and make that difference for them in whatever tiny little way that might that might be. Now, Kirsty, one of the words you mentioned a couple of minutes ago was neurodiversity. And I'm really glad you mentioned that because I wanted to ask you how your understanding of neurodiversity has changed in your time that you've been teaching. Vastly, really. I would say the word neurodiverse is, is really quite new to us um, in some ways. I would say really it's only started sort of being used in the last sort of five years, um, although it's been around for a lot longer than that, I think, in education. Perhaps it's only just started seeping into into teacher talk um, that long. And it really is It's an umbrella term, I think, to capture all those students that have always been around, all of us that have always been around, um, but sort of a way to explain um, our differences and our different approaches to to learning. So, you know, it encompasses it encompasses everything and everyone, really. Um, so I, I don't think any one of us is, you know, we use the words neurotyp- neurotypical as well, but I don't actually think there is any one, one neurotypical sort of situation. We all have slightly different ways. We're all on a spectrum of some sort. So it's just sort of an appreciation for that and a better understanding of those areas. And then in your role then as head of learning support, uh, I mean, a, a, a big factor in that is is SEND or S-E-N-D. Can you just tell us what S-E-N-D stands for and in a snapshot what it is for people that are listening who might not understand exactly what it is? So S-E-N-D stands for Special Educational Needs and Disability. Works with those students who need um, more support than than others do. So more than the general offer of support in, in a school than than the general population would need and it covers four different areas so it covers communication and interaction cognition and learning social emotional mental health and sensory and physical needs Um, so within our school um, I would say the majority of students that we work with probably fall into the cognition and learning and possibly the communication interaction area but we do have lots of others that fall into the different those different categories so we're talking about um, students with dyslexia with ADHD type um, characteristics um, on the autistic spectrum and some with some physical needs so we have some hearing impaired unit um, students and and visually impaired students we've had as well in the past so it's a whole variety um so a requirement to sort of have a knowledge of all those different areas is sort of part of my everyday kind of job, really, to be able to support both the students and the parents and the teachers in the classroom and offer them strategies of how to support those students. OK, I see. And tell us a little bit then about what your role actually is and, and how you involve yourself in all of those things you were just talking about on a day-to-day basis? It's, it's really quite varied. So I suppose I'm, I'm front-facing to lots of parents. Um, I tend to be, for quite a few of them, they they would have seen their, their child struggling for some time and they may come direct to me, not quite knowing how to get help, not quite knowing if there is something wrong. Um, quite often it can be quite an emotional 
journey for them because they may have they may have tried to help themselves but not been able to to find solutions so that will be sort of a start of a investigation sort of period of where we try and find out what's going on for a student and putting in place some different areas different types of support strategies and I'll manage all those different supports so with my my team up here so there's um, another um, seven members of my team up here I will then identify what different types of strategies I think can be put in place to support that student and and manage manage that support. So that could be that they have some small sort of group sessions up here to work with their difficulties. Um, it might just mean they need a space to come up to. Um, it might be that I need to talk to staff about various strategies that might support them. And then we kind of have a kind of a, a, a rolling process where you, you put in place some strategies, you see if they work. If they're working, great, we carry on, we do the same. If they're not, you put something else in. You keep building on those on those strategies um, to hopefully we get to somewhere where they're achieving somewhere where we, we'd hope them to be achieving. So that's sort of the, the element with with the the parents. With the students, I also work with the students. Um, so so um, delivering my own sessions, some sessions around literacy. We've also recently, I've introduced... Um, quite a lot of we do we do coaching in the school and we've introduced some more work around executive functions so executive functions being some of the core areas that students any any of us actually might have um so we're talking about things like response inhibition and working memory sustained attention task initiation planning organizing um time management Having, having goals, being flexible, um, all those sorts of skills that you really need to be able to have to be able to achieve academically. So trying to teach the students to understand um, where they have strengths and weaknesses and trying to support them um, in those areas and give them sort of goals to work towards getting better at them. Um, so we've I've, I've introduced quite a, a sort of a large number of um intervention groups to work with students and we do quite a bit of coaching one-to-one with some of the students on those sorts of areas as well we also have to do a lot of work around um, what are called access arrangements for for examinations so students who um, are neurodiverse and maybe require a slightly different setup for their exams to in order for them to have sort of a level playing field so it might mean that they are able to have a computer reader for their examinations so um, assessing them um, to ensure that they're um, they're suitable for that making sure they're taught how to use that properly putting that place putting that in place in the classroom and then you have to apply for all of these things for examinations um, which is a huge 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 bureaucratic um, job these days so that's another large part of the job so it means that I'm working with quite a few different people within the school to make sure we get all that information in place and um, ready to be looked at by the external agencies. I also do quite a lot of work with the admissions team. So making sure that students come into the school, um, have enough information about, about the school, um, that if if when they come in, they feel like they're going to be supported. Um, so again, working with parents, liaising with parents. Um, I think this morning I had a parent of an eight-year-old mm-hmm. who's wanting to look at the school and just, you know, is it, is, are they going to, are we going to be able to support them? Are, you know, what sort of things are there in place? So a lot of work with external people to 
to sort of try and make sure we we match our school with the with the students and the parents' expectations. Gosh, so it seems very busy. I mean, from a day to day level, that, that sounds extremely busy, actually. I'm not surprised you've got a good team around you. But I'm dying to ask you this. I'm thinking right now that when the parents are listening to this episode right now, who may have gone to school in the 80s or the 90s, they're probably picking up that things have changed quite dramatically since then, that there's much greater provision for people who learn in different ways. And I'm sure that you'd probably agree with that as well. But do you think we've, we, do you think that we're doing enough? And I don't just mean at Whitgift, but in society regarding the provision that we give to these children, but also the way that society accepts people who learn in different ways too. So Whitgift is very, very fortunate the position it's in. We have we we have finances to be able to put in place the support that um, students need. It's not infinite, and and there will be there will be students who um, perhaps are not accessing everything that they need to access. In society, I think things have moved on a huge a huge deal. I think everybody has a bit of an awareness of of what autism is, for example, um, dyslexia, ADHD, and I think there is more. There's more of an understanding. Whether there's more of an acceptance, I think that's got some way to go yet. I certainly think um, in schools there's there's more of an understanding. Uh, I think teachers are accessing more training, but but not enough. I certainly know that in. Um, in training there's still not there's there's barely given sort of more than an hour or so that's given to neurodiversity um, with students so really not enough so that could improve and I think in the work placement although we're getting there there's definitely more of an understanding and lots more work has been done on it I still think in the general population there's still a I would say that people still people still judge and people are still don't accept and try to encourage people into the workplace where they think people are going to be different. I still think there's a stigma around certain neurodiversities, although in in certain areas, you know, that they are they're going out there to actually find people that have um, neurodiversities so that there are certain companies that are absolutely superb at it. But that's still a way to go. Definitely. Mm, Interesting. Do you have any examples of that? I know that NASA, for example, they they positively like to recruit people on the autistic spectrum. I'm sure there's lots of examples of this out there now, but I know they positively like to recruit people on the spectrum. I know similarly with who are the other ones? GCHQ. I know they also they they try to recruit a talent pool of people who are neurodiverse as well. Um, and I'm sure there are lots more examples out there out there now. Um, I know from from friends that they you know there are lots of companies out there that are trying to make sure that they track these things much more carefully um, to ensure that they you know people can not only that they recruit a bit more um, carefully but that they can maintain people in those jobs as well and what are they doing to maintain maintain sort of a more neurodiverse population within their in their job pool so yeah I, I definitely think things are are changing there's still a way to go I think um I think one thing that's changed that um, has been phenomenal was the um, Paralympics in the UK. Um, I think that was a, a real changing point. And I think, you know, as a country, I think we did a, a fantastic job of uh, promoting the Paralympics. And I think that moved things forward quite hugely to the extent, you know, we had our children knowing 
who the Paralympians were and celebrating them for their for, for what they could do, not what they can't do the whole time. And I think that moved things on. That would be something I would love to see at Whitgift if we could attract some people with perhaps some of the neurodiversities and disabilities that we haven't traditionally attracted. I'd, I'd love to see an increase in those those numbers coming to the school and benefit from what Whitgift has to offer. Awesome. This is really good to hear. Kirsty, I've got a slightly tricky question for you now, which is if I was coming at this from the point of view of a parent who has a child with no learning difficulties at all. I mean, it's great that there is all of this provision for children with learning difficulties, but if my child has no learning difficulties at all and they're on track for straight A's or straight nines, you know, with the new system of grading children, then is there any concern that anything might be taken away from them with the teaching at a school like Whitgift? And again, not just necessarily Whitgift. Or are there other benefits for, you know, for my children? in that situation, to be at a school with other children who have learning difficulties? I'd, I'd certainly go for the latter. I can see why you'd ask that question. But I think, you know, you, you send your children to the school where you think they're going to be happy, I would hope, is the first thing you, you think about, and meet a range of people and, and excel and do do their very best. Um, my strong belief is that we do we do our best when we're surrounded by people that we can learn we can learn from and you know we're we're in a school already that selects on academia selects on gender i think to still have broad range of people with different neurodiversities is a really good thing and really important thing for our students to be able to see that is the world they will go into it's important that they they can learn from being surrounded by different people i think it's really important i certainly don't think it takes anything anything away there are enough opportunities here at Whitgift um, for all students to find their own find their own path absolutely great answer to a tricky question Kirsty if anyone's listening to this and they wanted to find out more about learning support at Whitgift what's the best way for them to go about doing that they can contact me directly I'm 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 available I, I answer lots of emails I'm happy to have a phone call happy to have meetings we sometimes have small meetings once a year where parents can can sort of have a chat as well. We do also in the lower years, we invite in the parents to do some workshops with their children um, so they can get a bit of an idea of how they can help their students. Um, there are also some pods, some other podcasts and little video reels that we as a department have put out there with information about um, various ways for students to study. Additionally, on Firefly, which is our medium to send information out, there's lots of information out there about different types of neurodiversity. Um, so, so plenty of information out there. Awesome. Well, look, Kirsty, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for talking to us today, opening up your world and talking to us about neurodiversity. Thank you so much. Thank you, Simon. So that was Head of Learning Support at Whitgift, Kirsty Richardson. A big thank you to her for giving up her time during her lunch break, I might add, to talk to us today. So that's it for this episode. Our next episode is coming out soon. But in the meantime, thank you for listening to this one. Don't forget to follow or subscribe so you can stay in touch. And we look forward to seeing you next time. Bye for now.